This is the MLW Radio Network. Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by SeatGeek. Stay tuned, and I'm going to tell you how you can get $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Thanks for tuning in. I hope all of you dads out there had a great Father's Day and that you were able to spend time with your children and those you love. I have to tell you, you know, really, it is the greatest job I have ever had. And uh, people may think, you know, how can you refer to it as a job? Well, it, it is in a lot of ways. Uh, you, uh, you know, you get uh, back what you put into it. Uh, it takes a lot of hard work. Uh, there's tremendous rewards to be had, but, uh, you know, you, you've got to be there. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had conversations with people, and they always talk about, you know, you need to have quality time with your children. You know, I, uh, uh, with my kids, we had a, a split home. Uh, so, you know, we had, uh, you know, uh, I and their mother had split up, and um, it's tough. So, uh, yeah, sure, quality moments, but you have to be that dad who's there all the time, too. And, um, you know, I, you can say quality time, but, you know, it's quantity time. You know, it, the kids always need to know that you've, you're going to be there. And, uh, you know, just spending time with them. You can't be like this weekend dad, you know, that has all these wonderful things to do with them when you're with them. Because then it becomes like this uh, make-believe world. You know, you got to be dad. So I, uh, I hope that uh, everybody had a, a great time out there. And uh, I hope that, uh, you know, everything's good with your kids. I know, once again, I get off track there, but uh, really, I hope you all had a great Father's Day. Did you tune into the podcast last week? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was, I, I promised you guys it was going to be a wild ride, and it absolutely was with Sid Hudy, or uh, Sid Justice as I knew him, or Sid Vicious, or Psycho Sid, or one of the other uh, Lord Humongous, uh, whatever, all the other gimmicks he had along the way, but man, uh, what a reaction we got to that uh, podcast as well. Because, you know, Sid, there he just tells it like it is. I mean, that guy is just stone cold, tell you the truth. This is what I'm thinking. And if you don't like it, F you. And that's uh, pretty much the way he uh, took on his whole career. And it ended up making him a very rich man. But uh, there was just some great, great stuff in that podcast. Uh, the fact that he says, he claims that... Um, that main event at WrestleMania 8, he, he thought it was just another house show. <laughs> and as crazy as that sounds, I, I believe him. I mean, I, I, that's the way Sid looked at everything. It was all business. And uh, many of you caught, uh, there was like one point in the conversation, you know, where everything's going along great. We're just having this great conversation. And he says something like, you know, you know how uh, they called me Psycho Sid? And I kind of laugh. And he's like, there's this big long pause. And he's like, Sean, he goes. You laughing, Sean? And I'm like, I mean, I, I you know, I, I tweeted this out. I'm like, my blood ran cold, and I was 1,200 miles away from this monster. And I'm like thinking, whoa, where did that go? How, how did this turn? And uh, you know, I'm quickly thinking. I'm just said, you know, I'd heard the story before. So I said, you know, I, I just love this story. And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, but I mean, everybody listen to that. Like, I know you're out there. You listen. You're like going, oh shit. <laughs> like, what did Mooney just do there? What's going to happen now? Uh, but uh, it was it was a it was a great conversation. I had a, a really good time with Sid, and uh, you know, really, he's a great guy, and and he's 
doing a, a lot to give back. He uh, works with the church out there where he lives in uh, Arkansas. Uh, very devoted to that, and um, you know, really wants to uh, help people out, and that's what he's doing. So, if you listen to the podcast, he gave you some information that if you'd like to be a part of what he's doing, you you certainly can. But uh, Sid. Uh, really, I want to thank you for coming on Primetime. It, uh, it was a great time uh, chatting with you. Uh, this week, another great episode. We finally caught up with uh, Steve Lombardi, better known to most as the Brooklyn Brawler. And uh, I really liked this conversation because you know, Steve uh, really has a, a, a great take on the business. Um, you know, They call, it, call them jobbers. Uh, he, he, that wasn't something that he was offended by. Or now they call him enhancement talent. But um, he was by far much more than that. Uh, he realized early on, once he started uh, with the uh, WWF, WWE, um, and, and, and by the way, lasted over three decades with that company. But he realized that the key to his longevity and his gift was making other wrestlers look good in the ring. He was really, really good at it. And, um, you know, you listen to him and, and he talks about the uh, you know, some of these incredible, uh, you know, wrestlers that ended up uh, being uh, some of the best in the business and remain icons this day uh, to this day in the business and they a lot of them were, the, were, were his first match he was uh, you know rock's first match and mark henry's first match and i mean the list goes on and on and uh as he tells that uh, the you know the, his journey um, i want to remind everybody to check out our collection of t-shirts though before we get to that conversation uh, business is picking up on these. I'm glad people are checking them out. There's a new one. Uh, Mooney is money uh, that is getting a lot of attention. Uh, also, the line of Moon Nation shirts with all of the countries represented, whether it's a flag or an outline of the country. You know, we got the UK and uh, you know the United States and all. You know, it's just it's great. I really love the design of that T-shirt. And of course, the Sean Mooney Who T. And you can check them all out. You don't even have to go to ProWrestlingTees.com I mean, unless you really want to because we make it really easy. All you have to do is go to MooneyTees.com. MooneyTees, T-E-E-S dot com. Also, when was the last time you got out to see a live show? There's nothing better. You know, and I'll tell you, since um, I've been uh, uh, involved with the SeatGeek, I have been getting out to a lot more uh, live shows, all different kinds. Um I mean, whether you, you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to go to a concert or, or maybe to see your favorite comedian. I've seen some great shows right here in my part of Arizona where I live. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, an MLB game wherever you are. We've got the Diamondbacks up in Phoenix or uh, a WWE event. Uh, well, our good friends at SeatGeek can help make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Now, to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Also, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on uh, SeatGeek with absolute confidence. So, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And folks, don't just take it from me. Uh, Take it from one of my loyal listeners who listened to me and did the right thing. Uh, Dan McGinn sent me a DM uh, after he downloaded the SeatGeek app. And, you know, it's just a few taps away from getting fantastic seats. And he sent me a tweet that says, uh, Thanks to Primetime Mooney and SeatGeek, my wife, my buddy, and I 
are going to see the Red Sox versus the Yankees this August. Thanks at Sean Mooney, who love the podcast. And Dan, I'm so happy that we uh, could help you out because, folks, you know, as I've mentioned many times before, not only is it just, you know, the app and uh, what SeatGeek does is tremendous, but because you are uh, loyal listeners of Primetime with Sean Mooney, uh, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, all you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and then enter the promo code PRIMETIME. Well, that's promo code PRIMETIME, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, get out and have a great time. Take somebody you love or, uh, you know, good friends or something. Take them out and see a live show, and you can do that with SeatGeek. All right. Let's get to the Brooklyn Brawler. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, folks, if you're a fan of wrestling, you know the word jobber. You've heard it before. It has very early origins. Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes it as a person who works by the job, which I guess in the uh, early days of professional wrestling, that made sense. Uh, also, you other definitions describe it as a person who does casual or occasional work. Uh, today, they've made it more PC. They call uh, people who do this enhancement talent. But my guest today may have started as what you might call a jobber, but he became, oh man, so much more than that for the WWE as he helped launch the careers of some of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling, including Bret Hart, uh, Mark Henry, yes, the Ultimate Warrior, and uh, you ever heard of someone called The Rock? Uh, he's doing uh, okay these days, uh, just to name a few. Steve Lombardi, better known to many of you as the Brooklyn Brawler, joins us here today on Primetime. Steve, great to have you. Yes. <laughs> great to be here, and thank you for having me. Yeah, I tell you, it has been a while, and uh, we were just oh. talking before we, we started rolling here. Uh, over three decades with the WWF, yeah. WWE. And I, th I said, I, I think that maybe the only one uh, who might have a few years on you, if, if any, is Howard Finkel. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. And it's, and it's actually four decades. Yeah. Well, 80s, I guess, 90s, 2000s, right? 2010s. Wow. And, uh, and I, can remember like, I can remember like yesterday, you saying on Superstars, coming up next, the Brooklyn Ball with Bobby Heenan against the Red Rooster. Do you remember all that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, if you count all the hours in television, uh, you may have had a lot more, you know, uh, uh, FaceTime than a lot of the uh, other superstars in the WWF because you were on pretty much every single show, plus all those, show, all those matches that we did uh, for International. So you, you were on TV a lot. I would say so. I would say I wrestled every wrestler in the industry, except for a few. And like you laugh about The Rock. I, I knew The Rock when he had $7 to his name. I know him since he's eight years old. I wrestled his dad's first match in WWE, and then I wrestled Rock's first match in WWE. Wow. That, that's Isn't amazing. That cool? it, yeah. And you mentioned uh, he had $7. He has a production company. I think it's called Seven Bucks. And because of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, 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 you know, initially, I mean, I want to talk about you know, where you grew up. Of course, the, the Brooklyn Brawler uh, was because you grew up in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, you, you, you did it in a different way. The way you came into professional wrestling is, is, is very different than a lot of people. Uh, we'll get to that. But first, tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up uh, in that 
that part of the world. I lived for a number of years, even before I went to work for the the WWF uh, back east, and I li- actually lived in Manhattan. But, uh, it, you know, it's a different world to describe to people what it's like to grow up in, uh, you know, that tri-city, you know, we're talking, uh, or tri-state, I should say, uh, but especially in the boroughs there, and in Brooklyn and Queens and all the uh, and all that uh, other uh, area that is right there by Manhattan. Yeah, it sure was. It's a different. It was a different world back then than it is today. Yeah. When I grew up in Brooklyn, it was basically Italian American neighborhood where right. every every family and every home was Italian. And uh, I went to New York High School, which people wouldn't know, remember the show Welcome Back, Carter, but you would. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Vinnie Barbarino. That's the high school I went to. That's that's the that's the high school I went to, New Utrecht High School. I'm a legitimate sweat hog. <laughs> now because that you know what's funny, Sean? Yeah. Uh-huh. I say that show to people today, the younger wrestlers, and they never heard of it. But did they I, I mean I know they, they used like the, the uh facade of the building, like that was actually on the show, but yeah. I can't remember, was it in Brooklyn? I mean, did they have what was that no, where the show No, they no. shot in Hollywood. They shot in Hollywood and they used the exteriors of the building for the open. And, and the clothes. But did it play? Did the the fictional show? Did it did it take place in Brooklyn? Was that I, I can't remember if that's where it no, was. No, the actually, show was the show was the, the show, and I believe it was done in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, I, I think. But I know. I was I was just saying the characters, though. I thought was uh, I mean, was although it, you think you think yeah. the legitimate characters from the yeah. interviews, is that what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, no, I think not was that I know of. I don't, the story I of we it. had Vinnie Barbarino in there, and uh, I mean, we had people similar to that. You know, there was, we, we had the, uh, the football team wearing all green jackets and then we had the guys who wore jeans and leather, leather, leather vests. You know, right. there was that, that certain, that certain persona yeah. that, that did occur back then. Yeah. But I was just wondering if the storyline was, was based in Brooklyn. I can't, I, I didn't remember cause I didn't use the name of the high school. I don't know. I'm just getting off track here, but it's, it's New uh, Utrecht, New Utrecht high school. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but, but, uh, you know, when people, uh, talk about th- that time. And, uh, you know, everybody got around in a subway. It's hard to explain to people how you could get anywhere, you know, in the city and the city f- is five boroughs folks. And, and you could go, you know, you go out to Shea, you could go to Yankee stadium, you could go into the city and go to the garden. I, I, it, it must've been a, a gigantic playground for, for kids when they grew up there. Oh yeah. You jump on the B train, you could be at the garden in 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, and that's what makes it so valuable. The homes over there are so valuable. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. where, where are you living, Sean? I'm out in Arizona now, but I lived, I spent, oh, you're in, okay. yeah, I spent a good uh, 20 years back there. And, uh, you know, so I, I know it well, but I always wondered what it must've been like when you, you know, as a kid growing up there, because you could go anywhere, you could go out to the Island, you could, you know, be at the beach, you, Coney Island, if you wanted to. And, you know, it was all like a day trip. And I just thought, God, that yeah. must have been a lot of fun doing that. It was cool, and it was only like 75 cents for the subway. I don't even know what it is today. I would yeah. just walk about four or five blocks, go, go to the subway. I could go anywhere I wanted to in the city. I could go anywhere I wanted. That's how I got into wrestling business. Yeah. I, got, I got together with a bunch of friends, took the train. We went to the garden, you know, and then, you know, the history. It's all, it's all history from there. Yeah. Uh, but growing up, uh, you, you mentioned like this traditional Italian family. People have, you know, the the uh, a lot of families live together. And I think what I think your grandparents lived in the same house with like split levels. You know, they had like different apartments. You guys lived upstairs or downstairs. You read, you read my book. You read my book. Did you read my book? Absolutely. I do a lot of research. <laughs> well, I do more filtered. than just the book. 
because I go into depth with all that in the book. Yeah. yeah. Of course I read your book. Which and folks, we're going to plug that a few yeah. times. It's Brawler Unfiltered, yeah. and you can still get it. It's I got it through Audible. It's an audio book. Yeah, I got, the, yeah. I got it through it's Audible. Audible, iTunes, it's on everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I put it on Kindle now because some people like to read. <laughs> but you, Imagine but you know what that. The funniest thing? Yeah. You know what the funniest thing? You, you were there on my transition from Steve Lombardi to Brooklyn Brawler, correct? Oh, yeah, yes, I was there. For yeah, because I remember. Because I remember you doing the. I remember you doing the plugs. Who was the world champion when you were there? Well, Hulk, of course, was the was, the, the, you know, ro rode that wave for Hulk. as long as I was there, basically. And then Randy, of course, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah so I, Hulk did so much to me. Hulk, Hulk went to Vince and told Vince, "I, I want Steve Lombardi to travel with me everywhere." He says, "Because I cannot go to airports, I cannot go to ticket counters, I can't go here." And Vince okayed it, and I got to travel with Hulk Hogan for almost two years. Yeah. Well, and we are we are going to get into that, but I want to uh, talk about, you know, the origins of how you got into the business. And I mentioned before that um, you really didn't do it in a traditional way. Uh, not that there really is one, but, you know, either uh, a lot of guys who come up through families and that connection or they or they find a wrestling school, they get somebody to train them. But you basically, uh, you know, showed up in New York City at these garden shows and basically just kept showing up. And eventually uh, Arnold Skolan said, you know, kid, if you want right. to do something, then come out to one of the events. Now, and, and I, I guess maybe you were just naive at the time, but, uh, you know, and, and wanted to do this. But when you showed up, I think out on Long Island, I think it was, um, sure, and you basically got stretched. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like they're giving you a you know, this great lesson. Yeah, yeah. I did. They, 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 they threw me. He threw me. Well, the first time I went there, he blew me off. Then I came back the next yeah. time, and yeah. then and then and then he uh, sent me to the Savoy. And uh, we went to the Savoy. That's where I met him. It was a bar right by the garden where all the wrestlers go. Right. So he sends me to Shirley, Long Island, and then he uh, he starts talking Carney. And uh, even the guys today don't know what Carney is. It's a language spoken between the wrestlers, you know, with the Zealing, the Kiazak, the Kiazar. With the, I mean, you, yeah. you, it was around when you were around. Kiazai, Kiazen, Spiazik, Kiazai. Yeah, you got it. You're going to get everybody confused because nobody knows that anymore. Only circus people. <laughs> so, right. uh, so anyway, I go, I, go in the, I go in the arena, and then uh, Skola tells me to get in the ring. And then he tells, he, he talks in Carney to like Mr. Fuji, Ray Stevens, Jimmy Snooker, and they all jump in the ring. Mm. Now I'm saying, what the hell is going to happen to me now? So he, he goes, Jimmy's going to slam you, then Ray Stevens is going to slam you, then Snooker's going to slam you, and I want you to keep going around. And I'm like, okay, I can tough this out. So I, I just run into there, and they're just scooping me up and slamming me. Slam, slam, slam. It's hurting, but I'm not, I'm not really letting, it, letting, letting on. Yeah. So they're all laughing. All the boys are around the ring. This is before the matches even started. Right, and they're, so, they're, uh, they're really shooting on these slams. I mean, they're not just... Uh, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're drilling me. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. drilling me. You know, they want to teach me a lesson, the young kid, you know. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they all leave the ring. Skola goes, not you, kid. And I'm like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? He says, he talks Carney to Mr. Saito. Mr. Saito jumps in the ring. I go, what the hell is this? You know, he, he was a scary individual, if you remember. He oh, walks yeah. up to me, and he snatches one arm to my side, grabs me in a belly-to-belly, -belly, and he gives me a suplex. He looks at Skola, and he goes, heavy. And I'm saying yeah. to myself, Wow, yeah, I've been working out. You know, I look, you know, I'm, he must mean I'm really big. Uh, meaning, you, you know what you know what he was meaning. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and when, he, when he gave me the belly to belly, oh, right. my God, I said, this is not for me. It's going to kill me, you know, because it's my first, it's my first falls. It's my first yeah. bumps. 
Yeah, and, and I just uh, kept going back. But they were testing you. Uh, probably, you know, Scullin was probably just hoping, you know, okay, now he'll stop bugging the crap out of us, or or <laughs> yeah, he's going to stick around. I mean, that's basically what it would come down to, right, back then. Yep. And you know what I did? I stuck around. I kept coming back and coming back and coming back and, and, until they finally said, show up at TV, school and say. Yeah. And it was Gorilla yeah. Monsoon back then, too. Yeah, but as, as and, I uh, mentioned, though, you didn't really uh, have any formal training at all, I mean, I, unless you, you know, no, something you no, didn't no. talk about. But that's, I, no, I really wonder no. when, you, when you would show up to these uh, TVs. And, folks, um, when they, back then, they really were people, you know, were jobbers, were basically raw meat for the superstars. Right. And there's not a, a, a chance in the world that they're going to try and work with you. They're out there to just to right. beat the living shit out of you, really, to make them look right. tough and mean. So, but you didn't even have the training. I, I, I was really wondering when you talked about it, that what those, in those first matches uh, that you had must have been like, because it was, I, you'd had some judo training, um, but yeah, yes, what were you like right. out there? I mean, really, that when you got in the ring with these I guys. Was, it, the, the first match I had was against SD Jones. It was a house show somewhere, and, I, and they, they threw me in the ring. I borrowed some tights, borrowed some boots. I went in the ring, anxieties. People will never understand when you walk to the ring, you get anxieties and, and yeah. you get winded just from the, from the atmosphere. So I get into the ring, and I'm kind of freezing. I hear SD going, relax, kid, relax, kid. You know, and he's, he's trying to help me. And it wasn't very good, put it that way. And it wasn't taped, which I was very happy about. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't really smarten you up at all. I mean, they probably, you know, tell no, you this no. is what we're going to do. But for the most part, it's pretty stiff. Yeah, they're trying to tell me it's real. They're trying to show, to show me, like, uh, this is what it's going to be like. You'll never make it, kid. You'll never make it, kid. It was like that. But I was just getting, I was just getting more determined. Yeah. More and more determined. So was all of this, I mean, as far as your education went, it was, it was pretty much uh, just showing up to these TVs, seeing who they paired you up with, and then either, you know, getting destroyed or actually learning something from these matches. Is, was that it? Yeah, what it, is, what, it, what it was, it was all squash jobs. So you yeah. go in the ring, but all you have to do is be able to get beat up and then know right. what the finish is, and then they walk you through that, and if you don't do it, they get you through it. You know, it was scary. I mean, it was scary. And the one day it changed. It yeah. was, it was, uh, but did you get, before you get later. to that break, uh, Steve, yeah. did you get hurt? Was there any, I mean, like they were somebody really hurt well, you? Just prior to and, that? No, no, just aches and pains. You okay. know, your back hurts, nothing serious, no hospital type right. injury. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, I was, I, I, they tell me to go to Allentown and go to the TVs. So Scholar says, Hey kid, show up in Allentown. We do TVs and in Allentown and Reading every three weeks. And I said, oh, great, great. So I go to, I go to Allentown, and I'm, I'm, I show up, and, I'm, and I'm, I get there early, and I'm standing there, and I watch all the boys start to walk in before the matches. And mm -hmm. then I see Skolan walk right by me, and he, he ignores me. He don't even know me. He's like oblivious to me. Yeah. So I, I go up to uh, – I, 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 look, I look, there's a blackboard in the, in the dressing room, and they put all the names on the blackboard, who's facing who, who's facing who, who's facing who. Right. I look at the name. My name's not on here. But Skolan told me to be a TV. Yeah. So I go up to Monsoon. I go, what? I go, Gorilla, uh, Steve Abadi. I says, uh, Mr. Scullin told me to be here, but yet I wasn't on the board. He goes, uh, simple explanation, my boy. <laughs> Arnold Scullin did not tell me you were here. 
but be prepared next TV. You will be working. Uh, I said, fantastic. But you, re- you remember how Gino talked. Yeah, that was that, very know? good. You know, and uh, he was one of those people also that um, he had this tough exterior initially. Uh, and, and if you right. didn't, uh, I don't know, earn his respect or, you know, do something that made him think you were worth anything, uh, he didn't have time for you. But if, if he liked you, I mean, he would... Uh, he helped a lot of people along the way. And it's, it, it sounds like initially he took a, a liking to you and, and did help you. Oh, he, he helped me so much that when I first got into business, yeah. I got married. I'm married 32 years now. And, yeah. grew, and I got married in Vegas. And then he comes up to me and he goes, why didn't you tell me you were going to Vegas? I would have been your best man and I would have got you the best hotel and this and that. I said, oh, damn, to my wife. I said, we would have been hooked up. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, because he was Mr. Vegas back then. He used to go down there oh, yeah. 20, 30 grand. Yeah, but he wasn't going to Atlantic City. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. Uh, he, he he was uh, he was at my wedding too. He, did, did, was oh, he? Was when, he? Yeah, he was at my wedding. Yeah, him and Hal. Yeah, he told me Alf. afterwards. Yeah, yeah uh, but me, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, he he was just a, a, an unbelievable guy. I, I mean, I loved, and I would not have survived my first year in the business if it wasn't for for Gino. He was, uh, you know, he was so good oh, to yeah. me and spartaned me up in a lot of ways of, you know, just uh, you know surviving you know because you remember back then steve when everything was colliding then when when uh, vince started you know we're talking after 85 when he started to bring in people from the outside really because he wanted to step up his you know the production value i mean vince has always been very uh you know very wise about that but you you remember at that point when they're bringing these people in it was a it was a big collision because a lot of people didn't like people from the outside like you said you know the whole talking carney and uh, shutting you out and you really did have to earn their respect and if it wasn't for those guys there's no way i would have survived i'm I'm sure it was like must have been really hard for you uh coming in as well and i don't know how long it, it took a you. different business huh. different business than it is today that's for sure now you go to the training camp in orlando they train you then when you're ready they send you to nxt and then, i mean they got a whole different thing now yeah now uh steve they it, old... yeah go ahead yeah no, I was going to say before they had territories all over the country. Yeah. And then right. Vince would just pluck the top stars out of all the territories and bring them in. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And until he, uh, you know, steamrolled them and, and basically put them all out of business uh, and that, and changed the yeah. business forever. Um, but I want to ask you when, you know, when people are jobbers, uh, you know, they're getting work basically every week. If you If you're decent, they'll keep bringing you back and have you, you know, travel. And, and at that point in time, uh, the WWF, WWE was pretty much based in the Northeast. So the the shows that they did, besides the fact they're syndicating them, they're trying to get them all over the country. But the tapings were right. done pretty much in the Northeast, so you could stay in that area. But you could be you could be one of those guys. And I remember we'd go to a place, and they'd have their local guys that would show up, and they would destroy them. Um, right. What was it though that that separated you? And I, I know you had one very big break. Uh, talk about that. Like I said, what, uh, what separated you from just being these guys that showed up every week? And then also that, that big break. Okay. The thing that separated me from it happened in one day. We were in Allentown. Ricky Steamboat started. Now, he was a big star from Hawaii to Charlotte. Yeah. You know, he was, he was a big star. I see my name on the blackboard against Ricky Steamboat. So I go up, I was, I was, I was nervous and happy at the same time. I go up to him and go, Mr. Steamboat, 
I'm, I think I'm wrestling you tonight. He goes, he goes, there's one thing. He goes, I don't believe in beating a dish rag. I uh. says, whatever you want, sir. So that's the first time I'm doing leapfrogs. He's leapfrogging me. He's taking big bumps for me. He's doing all this for me. I, I, I he gave me the first time that I actually gave me some offense. I uh. go back to the dressing room. Pito Santana, another fan walks up to me. He goes, how did it feel? I'm saying, how did it feel? He, he thought it was it was weird that all of a sudden I'm a jogger and now I'm doing I'm having a competitive match with Ricky Steamboat, one of the hottest wrestlers in the country. Yeah, that's how that changed. <clears throat> as far as the big break, Bobby Heenan was everything. Yeah, Bobby Heenan chose me to be with him because he had all his guys: Kurt Henning, the Giant, Andre. Uh, Rick Rude, and I can't remember every single one. They were all busy. Yeah, no kidding. He had quite a stable. Di- yeah, different angles. So yeah. he says, "We got I got Terry Taylor here. He says, he he's I'm, he turned on me, and we have a feud going. I have nobody to work with him. I'm going to take you into my stable, and I'm going to take you and bring you to the top, and you could battle against, against uh, Terry Taylor. Yeah. That's when he became the Red Rooster. Right. Well, uh, you know, was, you're talking about when the, we were transformed in the, into the Brooklyn Brawler. But what prior to that, um, you really after the I guess you know after Steamboat and I guess you know the other boys must have taken notice that you know uh, there's a there's a big difference between going out there and absolutely destroying a guy and somebody who can go out there and you know make it look like ah this guy's got a chance. And that yeah, makes the yeah, guy look, look good. better. But You're they right. didn't trust, they wouldn't trust a lot of these guys. So they go out there and just absolutely destroy them. So at this point, after that Ricky uh, Steamboat match, um, did the other boys start taking notice that, hey, I want to work with that guy because he's going to make me look really good? Yeah, I, I assume so. But they would put me with whoever they put me with, I'd, I'd yeah. work three times. It'd be three hours. So I was saying to myself the whole time, I'm going out there, I'm working with the Iron Sheik, I'm taking the camel clutch, I'm going out there with Piper, I'm getting beat by him, but I still have enough energy to go out there and wrestle Bob Orton Jr. So I thought to myself, I look like Superman inside the building itself, because mm-hmm. it, was weak. it was weeks, you know? All right, yeah. Yes, yeah. I looked very, I, 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 I looked better than, I looked better than everybody else getting beat up. Yeah. <laughs> Be- only because I kept going back and I kept doing it. And I was right. learning in the ring. It was like on the job training. I just kept learning more. You got to get more accustomed to it. So was there a point that uh, you realized, and, and you talk about this in your book, that uh, where you, you realize that you've got this talent for doing this? And uh, I don't know if, if initially you had in your head, you know, I want to be uh, a big superstar, be on that stage or you know, was there a realization? Say, you know, I'm really good at at doing this, and and you say you never minded losing. Um, explain that. I never minded losing because I knew that was my role. I was there to do to, to make the other guy look really good and lose at the end. And everybody would always say, "Oh, you lost so many matches. You lost so many matches. You're a loser." And I'm saying to myself, "Thank you, thank you. I convinced you. I convinced you." Yeah. You know, it was it was a different feeling in my a different mindset in my mind than, than the fan, than the, your casual fan. But what was it about you in that ring, though, that you were able to make these other superstars look so good, and you helped launch a lot of these guys' careers? Uh, I'm sure there were other yeah, good, that was later uh, on. other enhancement that was later talent on. that was good. 
Yeah, but I was I became a fixture. I was like every every TV, every TV, every TV. Other talent wasn't you know as, as frequently on TV, and they were utilizing me more. So I'm working three times a night, two days, three times a night, two days, and I'm doing this every single three weeks, every single three weeks. So I'm improving. My hip toss is getting higher. I never forget Iron Sheik going, "Oh baby, you take me your hip toss to Iron Sheik." He used to say stuff like that to me. And I would get encouraged. I said, holy shit, she just said I took a high, high hip toss like him. You know, and I, and I used to like, when I got picked up for a slam, I'd flutter my legs to make it look a little bit different. You know what I mean? To make uh-huh. it look better. Yeah. I, I tried like little, little things that were different. Guy punches me in the face, I spit. Oh my God, he just knocked his teeth out. You know, things like that. Little, little things that kind of made it a little more, a little more special. Yeah, and also I remember some of the matches uh, where we'd have a behemoth. We wanted to show... Uh, you know, just their incredible strength and you know, somebody like Mark Henry or something. And, oh, yeah. you know, you could go out there and oversell it. People, you know, you, that's what would happen a lot of the times. It would be too much. But I remember watching you and it just looked, you know, like that, that's, that just happened. I mean, that guy has that kind of strength to toss his body, you know, to the other side of the ring. Oh yeah. I knew, I, I looked at the guy and I seen his strengths. Like I knew Mark Henry was the strong man. So I, I hit him with a tackle. I take the fall. I, I go to hit the rope again. I tell him to get me in a bear hug. He, he just muscles me in the bear hug. He could hold me there for an hour. You know, I, I yeah. punch him in the head. I punch him in the head. He drops me. You know, but if I worked with, if I worked with a guy like Shawn Michaels, it would be a whole different ball game. It'd be reverse, double leap frog, go for a reverse monkey flip. I'll move on the elbow. You know, it's like a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. So you got to just, you just got to adjust to your opponent. Is there a different kind of ring psychology for somebody uh, who did what you did in the ring? Or, and I know you're, you're still doing it, but is there a different psychology? Yeah, the psychology is I wanted to get booed. <laughs> but I mean, that's that like a heel, but it's me. different from a heel, though, too, because your job is to, is to uh, you know, set these guys apart from, you know, the other superstars, to, you know, to make them bigger than life to people in the crowd. So I'm just wondering, because you yeah. talk about ring psychology a lot, and I, I wondered if there's a different approach than, say, a heel. Well, the psychology that I would have as a jobber in the early 80s when I first started would yeah. be when he hits me, I want to take a crisper bump. Like uh-huh. when he gives me a hip toss, a higher hip toss. Whatever he does to me, I want it to look like it hurt me more than it hurt the last guy that he did. Uh-huh. So I would always think, I would always think in terms of Making making it look more realistic. Yeah, and, and well, and it and it worked. I think that's why uh, a lot of the guys liked working with you. Not not just because of the familiarity, but like I said, when you uh, did the, those moves, it wasn't over the top. That that, that uh, you know, a lot of times you would see these guys that would overdo it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they wouldn't make it look. Right. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't like it was uh, like it actually happened. It was just you know okay. Right. You know. <laughs> Right. I always felt like Kurt, I always felt Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect was a better, better wrestler than Rick Rude, but Rick Rude would draw more money. Why? Because Kurt Henning was impressing the boys because when he, when he, when he kicked his leg, he'd flip over three times and the boys yeah. said, wow, what a work. And Rick, Rick Rude would be arrogant and just be like kicking and punching. You know what, you know what I mean? So people are like, yeah. that's no. real. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And Kurt had Pretty no much- problem selling for you, you know? No, because, no, Kurt, no, Kurt was fantastic, but, yeah. but the boys, the boys could appreciate his talent. 
a lot because what he did was very, 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 uh, he was very agile. I mean, Kurt was one of a kind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But Rick Rude, Rick Rude had this arrogance with that little uh, gyration he did. And he yeah. had all those pictures on his tights and all that. I mean, he had this, he had, he had more, he had drawing power. Yeah. That's why I always feel, I use them too for analogy because I see it that way. They were at the same time. They were there at the same time. Yeah. Well, um, you, you mentioned when we started talking here about your relationship with, with Hulk Hogan and uh, with, with Terry. Um, you know, why did that click? Because it wasn't just that he, you know, thought you're a, a good guy to work with or whatever. But he took you honest, on. The, he took in. you with him. I mean, and when when he was yeah. really taking off, what? How did that happen? Well, I, I, I was marking out for Rocky Three. You know, he came fresh off of Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Three, so he was yeah. like bigger than life to me. So I was like, I was like a mark. You know what I mean? I walked up to him. Oh, oh, yeah, Mr. Hogan, you were great. You were great. And he'd be like, "Stop marking out, brother." You know what I mean? Like, like he acted like he didn't like it, but apparently, yeah. He but I, I was gonna say, it. I would but, think that he'd be like, "Get this yeah. guy away from me." <laughs> yeah. Well, he he was saying that he was saying stuff like that, but he was yeah. leaning inside. Yeah. Thank you. You know, but he was a, he was an experience to travel with. Great guy, great guy. I don't have a bad thing to say about Hulk. So how did you? But how did great. you guys hit it off, though? I mean, this just because we hit it off great. I did all the I did all the driving. He loved me. You what? I, I did all the driving. He loved me, <laughs> you know, and, but he was funny. He used to, like, he is, I used to stay at his house sometimes in Connecticut. He had like a condo there. He was married to Linda at the time. Yeah. And he, uh, she would fix, fix us a big lunch. And then we would drive up like, to Boston and he would keep giving me these big chicken salad sandwiches. He'd go, you know, brother, you get so big. They won't believe if they beat you. He was doing stuff like that. I mean, he was, it was, it was, it was too much. He wanted me to just work out and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they won't believe it. You know, but that's not what I—not what I was looking for. I wanted you to look great when you wrestled me. I didn't want to huh. outlook you. Huh. You know, but but he great, great guy. So in those early years, I, what what years are we talking? Because I'm I'm trying to understand. You know, well, like what Brooklyn what peak of fame he was at? Huh? That was before Brooklyn Bowl, pre Brooklyn Bowl, so pre 1989. Okay, but I mean the, the he was pretty much. 84, uh, 85, maybe. Yeah. So he was very much already pretty famous or, or, or was he, was it just before it really just exploded where no, he couldn't he go was already on the front cover of, He was, he was already on the front cover of sports illustrated as the uh, most recognizable sports figure in the car, in the world or the country, whatever they say. I mean, he was, he was on the tonight show with Joan Rivers. I mean, he was, he was way up there back then. So what was that like to travel with him? I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without. People mobbing him. It right? was pretty. It was it was pretty cool. But he, he said to me, he goes, brother, Vince said you travel with me, but you're gonna get a lot of heat. And I'm like, well, why? He goes, because you're gonna be in first class all the time. All the all the agents are gonna be in the back. You're gonna mm -hmm. be getting in limousines with me and Lear Jets with me, and the mm -hmm. boys are not gonna like it. That's what he told me. And did that heat come? Which was <laughs> not really, because everybody was kissing his butt so much. They you know they accepted me. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was funny, a young kid like young kid like me, uh, in a Lear jet with Cindy Lopper, Mr. T, and uh, Hulk Hogan. Did you no. mention that? Yeah, that must have been pretty heady. I don't know uh, uh, 
how you you handled it during that period of time, but it must have been it was it was like traveling with a rock uh, band, I guess, right? I mean, a rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you make me you go keep going faster, brother. You you drive like you got bicycle tires, and I'm speeding, speeding. We must have got pulled over twice a night. But every time we got pulled over, all the, all the cops go is all, all I want is an autograph. All I want is an autograph. <laughs> you know, but today it would be different. It'd be Lieutenant. We got Hogan. You know what I mean? It's, it's different now. Yeah. The world was different. The wrestler had a lot, a lot of uh, privileges back then. So I think it was during that that time when you were were traveling around with with Hulk that you met uh, your wife, uh, right uh, in Detroit. Yeah. Was that during that period of time when yeah, you were with Hulk? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a limousine. You know, we used to get the limousines. We used to go like to Detroit once a month, once a month, once a month, and then. Uh, my wife was working for the limousine company that would rent the limos, but Hogan would always stay back. You know, right. I would do all the paperwork. And then um, I'd see her like once once a month, once every two months. And all of a sudden Hogan goes, you know, brother, I know you like that girl. Take the limo for the night. That's what he did. That's what he told me. And I, so I said, holy shit. I told, I told my, my wife, I said, you want to go out tonight? But I won't be out. Until about eleven thirty, because Hogan, Hulk Hogan, on last, she didn't even know. She didn't even know who Hulk Hogan was. She was not a wrestling fan at all. Really? She just yeah, knew he was uh, some famous talk. guy. Yeah, she just she she said she used to flip the channel, see wrestling, and you know, for, to, to a girl, I guess it's different. She goes, oh, she just passed right by. She never really got into it. Yeah. Oh, you, you mentioned it's funny you mentioned about you know not really getting out of the arena till eleven eleven thirty. Um, the way those house shows worked and many, many people listening, I know have attended house shows, but it, you know, it, it, the whole, uh, business at that time was based on house shows. Really. That's how you guys made your money from the gates. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, whoever was the, the big draw would be on last for many, you know, pretty right. self-explanatory there. You want to keep the crowd there. And I remember right. Stephen in, uh, one of the things I really, because I I wasn't from the business, I didn't, uh, I I had to get my education once I started working there. But one thing I always thought was just so cool is that you would go to an arena, and the first thing anybody did was go into the locker room and they would shake every single person's hand yep. in that locker room right down the line, Absolutely. because Absolutely. With, the, was, with the loose handshake, with the yes, loose handshake. like butter, right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the because you worked like butter it was you know soft if you were really good. But not but not today. You do that today, and the wrestlers will get, get on you. They don't want that today. Yeah, well, it's a whole different world because the reason for that, and of course, it was kind of it was traditional, is that you're basically thanking that guy for helping to put food on your table for your family because you get Hulk there, you know you're going to have a big house and everybody's going to make money. Okay. And of course, it, you know the money was divided up uh, considering where you were on that card. But that was, I always just got, uh, thought that was just such an uh, incredible, honorable tradition. I, I'm, if they don't do it today, I'm, I, I think that's too bad because. Um, well, they don't do, they, they, they shake hands, but they just don't do that, that uh, buttery handshake. They just do it for but not, But not everybody. I mean, you know what I'm saying? See, if you would go around and every single person in that locker room, because they, that, they oh, felt yeah. every, single buddy, every single person in this locker room is helping me to make money, and I'm glad to be here. And, uh, right. It's too bad that that. It's true. That, it's true. And well, so some people now. would have a little, a little. Some people would have a few egos and it'd be clickish. You know, they go to a different side. Yeah. And uh, and like if you, if you remember one story in the book where, you know, I met I met uh, Snooker a few times in the bar, the Savoy, and then when I went to the dressing room, all of a sudden, I you know I, I I'm giving all the handshakes, and then all of a sudden I, I go up to Snooker and he goes, 
lovely brother. I remember you from the bar. You know, he was real friendly to me. You know, he, he you know he really he he was a very a very friendly guy. I want to yeah, travel with yeah. him for years too. Yeah. Absolutely, he was was always a great guy. I never had any problems with Jimmy. Um, but he was one tough son of a bitch, though. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, you know? I remember when, they, yeah, I remember one time when Cass put handcuffs on him and he broke the handcuffs. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was all kinds of stories, but uh, you see what happened with back then. The boys were not as diligent as they would be today. As like they would miss towns, you know, they'd have uh, marital problems. They do this, they do that, and I would fill in all the holes. So my deal right. was, I I show up to every, every town in the beginning to every town, and if somebody is missing, I get a payday and I get to work. If they don't, I lose my trans and I lose my uh, payday. Yeah. And I made a good living that year. Yeah. I made a good Steve, living that if, year, very, very rarely. Yeah. If I could ask, uh, I mean, what was the money like then? I mean, from the time you started, I imagine it was probably nothing. Uh, from Probably did, no, didn't cover no, gas money to when to where you, what'd you make then? Well, I'm not gonna tell you figures, but but like all I could say is a lot. It was a lot of money for the time. I was a young kid. It was like 20, 23, 24 years old, and I'm making five hundred one night. Okay, you know stuff, stuff like that. So, you know, to me that was a lot. But when I was traveling with Hogan, I'd make more money because I'm in the A town, the big mm-hmm. town, and I right. worked twice. I'd work first as Brooklyn brawler, and then I wait for Hogan last, and I pull away in a limo with Hogan. <laughs> yes, I, I guess so you're twenty, man. You're living large. I'm living large, but there's one thing that Hogan wasn't telling me about—a little thing called taxes. Because, because, because <laughs> at the end of the year, at the end of the year, I got hit with a hell of a bill. That's a tough lesson. But uh, yeah, but like a, a lot of those jobbers, right? Much. They'd show up and they—I don't know what they paid them—50 bucks. I mean, you know, these guys just no, wanted no, to. No, there wasn't, if you worked a house show, they gave you a normal payday, whatever it was. Everybody got different, you know, a few yeah. hundred, five hundred. But if you were TV and you were a steady, you would just get like a, a, a very small payday, like a fifty dollars for TV. So TV would be a loss money wise for you. Yeah, I know that, and that was a rough night too because they, you know, that day started. God, I don't know what time. You know, the doors would open and they'd start doing matches. These, you know, the dark matches or whatever, and that would go. I remember there would be, you know, folks. You have to realize that you know they would be shooting. You know, they have to get enough material to cover all these shows. So these things would go on and on, and they would have oh, yeah. all come on last because they want, didn't want people to leave. But you'd see kids who were like, it was like school night, you know? <laughs> it's yeah, 11, yeah. 30. You see repeti- 37 matches tonight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, boy, did you get your yeah, money's worth. But good Lord, you know, that's like enough. All right. And I remember they used to, uh, I think his name was Bob Collins. He was one of the. The, uh, I remember, Bob Collins. remember Bob yeah, and they I would crowd, yeah, you know, they would move the crowd. Cause you know, this, it, it was a long night and some people were like, yeah. all right, I can't stay any longer, but those were just really long nights. And I remember, you know, these, they would have local jobbers. They would have these guys that would just come to try and get noticed. And I don't know if they, what they got paid, but Oh man, they would just get destroyed. And, uh, yeah, but it's no relative because the, in those days, the money, the money, you could get more for your money. Today yeah. you get less of your money, and you'll make more money. Everything's relative. Yeah, um, I want to. I want to talk about when things really did change for you. But you tell you tell a story, and I know you got close to Andre too. And I, it's just a really oh. a sweet story that uh, you know I, yeah. I, I got do, to know. Do you, want me, do you want me to tell it? Yeah, please. So I, so, I, so, I, so Andre so Andre takes a liking to me. Andre was the type of guy that he either like you, he he didn't like you. Yeah, and right. if he didn't like you, he would not speak to you. Yeah. So he happened to like me. So he goes, boss, 
I stay in the Ramada on 47th Street. Can you pick me up? Can you drive me to TV? So I was doing this for a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Then he starts going like this to me. He goes, boss, where do you grow up? I go, Brooklyn. He goes, what's, tell me about it. I said, Italian family. My mom lives, my mom and dad live upstairs. My grandma lives in the middle floor. I said, it's all Italian. He goes, take me there. <laughs> Just like that. Because we had, we had hours. So I call my mother. I go, ma, I'm bringing this wrestler by. She goes, who? I go, oh, just some new guy. You don't even worry about it. I'm just bringing by. So I didn't tell her it was Andre. Mm-hmm. So we pull up to the house. And it's like she's out the second floor window looking up. And I'm, I'm driving. So I, pa- I park right in front. So I get out. She goes, who's with you? Who's with you? So all of a sudden, Andre, it's a Cutler Sierra. Andre's all squashed in it. Oh, remember Cutler yeah. Sierra, Oldsmobile? And Andre gets well, the seat, seat went back. back. <laughs> yeah. And he gets out. And my mother goes, Oh my God! <laughs> and he was like so great. He was like so gracious to my mother. You know, he started to, you know, talking. You want only wanted to know was like, like the traditions and the foods and yeah. the different things that you did in Italian. Did he share a meal? Did so, you have him for a meal? No, no, no. We didn't have time. We had to, uh, to stop for like ten minutes and leave. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? It's my favorite year. No, I don't believe. Oh uh, well, it's it's a great movie. You got to check it out. But the it's Is that an Hero movie? huh? Andre's not in that, is he? No, no, no. But the Princess Bride, which is oh. one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. But I was just saying right. that the premise of it is uh, this guy is he's supposed to watch this very famous old-time movie star, and they, he takes him to uh, the land, uh, you know, of Brooklyn, and the whole family shows up. It's just a, it's a ride. But that I was just that scene must you know Andre the Giant in the neighborhood must have just been. Oh my God, he that was, probably he was like traveled really fast. He was almost bigger than Hulk Hogan because he was bigger than Hulk Hogan yeah. as far as stature. So, so everywhere he went, he was just like an eyesore. Hulk Hogan was like a movie star. He looked like a superhero when he walked around. Yeah. But uh, to have Andre at your mother's house in Brooklyn, yeah. Bensonhurst, where all the houses are attached and all the little old ladies are sitting on the, on the porches. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it was yeah, I was going to say the neighbor that must have traveled fast and people like, you know, oh, suddenly no decide they need to really? go for a walk. <laughs> Yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't walk stay by too, the we didn't stay too long. Yeah, yeah, we didn't stay too long. But it was uh, it's a great memory. My mother still talks about it to this day. Uh, that's that's so awesome. But, uh, but but my career, when you think about my career, all the characters that I've done, you, you realize Steve Lombardi, Brooklyn Brawler, Kim Shiva Kamala. Remember that? I think you were you weren't there for that. Were you there? Yeah, but now yeah, but I remember that. That 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 must have been a lot of fun because. Uh, you got to be this other character, nobody who you knew who you were, and you you got to yeah. do that same opportunity as Doink. Uh, but um, How about this one, you want to hear a good story? My phone rings at home. I picked up. I said, "Hello." He goes, "How you doing, pal? It's Vince." I said, "Yeah, Vince. Whatever you need." He goes, "I know you'll take care of it." And I, and I said, "Well, what do you need?" He goes, "I need you to fly to Calgary and wrestle Bret Hart in the main event. He was a world champion at the time." Yeah. He goes. As Doink, <laughs> that's what he told me. I never yeah. had paint on my face. I never did the Doink character. Nothing. I said, Vince, I had no problem wrestling bread. I wrestled it before, but it's the paint job. He goes, oh, 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 no problem. He goes, we're going to fly you to Stanford where Jill, the makeup girl, is going to teach you the paint job, give you a diagram, everything you need. Then we're going to fly you to Cleveland where you're going to get the Doink suit from Matt Bourne's wife, and then from Cleveland we're going to fly you to Calgary and where you wrestle Bret Hart. That was a tall order. This is all in one day? 
this is all in one day. Fly to Cal, yeah. fly to Stanford, go to the studio, get the little little lesson, give me a picture, so. give me all the paints, then fly to Cleveland, go to baggage claim, get the handoff of the suit, go back onto the plane, get, and go right to Calgary, get to Calgary, gain three hours in Calgary. So that's 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 what made it possible because you got the hour difference, time difference. Oh my God, the scariest thing was the paint job. Because Doink was the hottest heel at that time. So as soon as they hit the music, you just go out there and just do it. I mean, it was, Doink was over at one time. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? I, yeah, absolutely. As a heel. Yeah. As a heel. Oh, I love that character. I really, I really did. Um, and, and uh, you know, he could get away with that. You know, like it was like your scariest nightmare in a sense for a lot of people. And then, uh, you know, but you could get away with the the worst, you know, pranks and uh and then he would he could be brutal in the ring too which was oh, that yeah. that character was very over i think initially people were like what the hell and yeah, then it really did. I, mean, I, mean, yeah. I mean he was a great worker not yeah. so anyway i'm working on more work all these characters and all the years are passing years are passing i did 17 straight years in the ring active wrestling then i started working behind the scenes 15 years as a producer in the pre-tape room. Now, I believe when you were there, we had we had like interview rooms separate, like portable rooms, yeah. I think. I think that was your... Yeah, no, they did. And then Howard Howard uh, headed up the event center uh, with those interviews. And then, uh, yeah, so... But they, they built those they rooms. They had face-to-face at the office. They had all this different stuff. Yeah. But then they progressed into calling it the pre-tape room. And uh, initially, it was Michael Cole... Uh, working there, and uh, oh no, it was uh, Michael Hayes, and he hated it. He did not want to be in there, and he he's have trouble getting the talent into the into the uh, pre-tape room, which is the interview room. Uh-huh. So he, he I used to say, Michael, I'll get the guy in there, watch. So I had a great rapport with the boys, so okay. I could bring any wrestler into the room easily. So he's he's like seeing 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 a light bulb going off in his head. He's like, maybe you should work in a pre-tape room. You know, so give me some goofy job in the pre-tape room. Then he phases out of the pre-tape room. They put Michael Cole in there. Michael yeah. Cole's like the head of the pre-tape room. Then Michael Cole don't want to be in there. He wants to be an announcer. Then they bring Jonathan Coachman in. And then it's me and Jonathan Coachman. Then Jonathan Coachman goes to ESPN. Then I got the pre-tape room. I'm in charge of all interviews. Wow. 15 well, years. A lot of people, yeah. Years. And Vince likes uh, people that are, are uh, you know, multi-talented and uh, wear a few hats. Uh, so that, that must've been quite an education, especially, uh, working with those guys. Um, but, uh, you know, before we get to your career as it advanced, uh, into, you know, from the ring, which you still kept stepping back into, but I, uh, I have to ask you about that when, when, uh, and you mentioned it before about, uh, with I, I, Bobby was the first one that came to you and told you about that character, yeah. uh, the, the brawler, or did you? help come up with that how did how did the uh, no I, I had no I, I had nothing to do with that bobby came up and says we're repackaging you now this oh. is bobby Hinton. he's a top manager he's like he's a commentator he's doing everything you remember he was somebody he was like the guy yeah. he, up to you, he goes we're going to repackage you because you're going to be my heel one of my heels he goes you're going to work against turn taylor he goes we you, not, you know how to work now now we're going to teach you how to make money that's what he said to me but uh, at that point was that Kind of reaching, uh, I don't know, a peak for you. Uh, this kid who starts out as a jobber and then becomes this, uh, you know, helps make, launch all these careers along the way, and then you get your opportunity to be a superstar, which uh, we know yeah, that no. you know that roster wasn't very big, 
and uh, no. to to reach that. What what do you remember thinking at that time? I, you probably couldn't wait to uh, run to I'll a phone. I'll be honest with you, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. When I seen you, you used to do those recaps, or you know, the uh, yeah. coming up next, this and this. And tonight we will see Brooklyn Brawler with his manager Bobby Heenan against the Red Rooster. I said to myself, "Oh my God!" And now you put me in the category of Randy Savage in this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and that one. And my name was in, coming out of your lips, and you were plugging me. Uh, yeah, that's and very it, cool. It's still on YouTube. They're all, they're all on YouTube. Oh, everything's all on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that, that had... Bobby, to, said, put a, Bobby says, where, put a stogie in your mouth. I want you to have a cigar in your mouth. Wait till you hear about this one. You're not going to believe this one. But, but we'll get to it later, you know, when you want to progress to that. Because the afterwards, the after, I, I part, after I, we, me and uh, WB parted ways, my life got even more exciting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll I'm get to that you, It's crazy. Huh? It's crazy. But what do you remember of that run, though, when you were like, it was, you were the Brooklyn brawler. Uh, you did other things after that, but did you. Brooklyn brawler, I first became a Brooklyn brawler. My, yeah. my money tripled, quadrupled. Really? I remember going home and telling my wife, and telling my wife, I said, uh, listen, we got to save every dime. We're making more, we save more. I always tease Terry Taylor. I say, I bought a home, you bought a Volvo. <laughs> you know, because we had different different priorities. I bought my first. Well, a lot of the guys blew their money too, with you know, just buying all all kinds of stuff because, you know, they had never made that kind of money before, and, the, and these guys are, you know, rock stars. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year now. So a lot right. of people didn't handle it very well. Some many put it up no, their nose. A lot of them did. A lot of them did, and a lot of them didn't. Right? No. No. Then you're right. There are there are others that yeah were very smart about it. Uh, you know, Tito Santana is one of those guys, you know, put his oh, kids yeah. to college. I just face, yeah. FaceTime with Tito three days ago. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, so, uh, but as the brawl, I mean, you, you got some really great opportunities. You wrestled, uh, for the championship, I think twice or, you know, and, and, uh, Oh yeah. Shawn Michaels, Madison square garden. Yeah. Now let's yeah, back, you know, with, back that, up that, on that one. Though. Yeah. But that, yeah. And backing that's, up, that also had something to do with the screw job. With Brett, because he was yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, well, yeah let's just, let, let, I'll tell the story really okay. quick. I, well, yeah. Not quick, but I'll tell it. Okay, so we're wrestling yeah. in, um, in um, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. They're having a battle royal. I'm, not, I'm, I'm in the battle royal, but I'm just the guy to get thrown out and this and that. So all of a sudden, Ken Shamrock was scheduled to win the battle royal. Ken Shamrock injured his sternum in his chest, like his bone in his chest or something. He got injured. So the um, the agents, well, they call them producers today. We call them agents back then. They right. would walk into the, uh, I remember it was Lanzer and uh, Chief and those kind of guys. They walk into Vince, and I'm right behind him listening in because the door was open. He goes, Vince, Shamrock can't go over. He's hurt. He can't work. Vince takes his little glasses, puts his tip in his nose, looks up and goes, put Brooklyn Brawler over. He's local. Not not realizing that he's that he's that he promised the winner of the battle royal wrestle with the world champion in the next garden show. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, but you know, but nobody was real. Nobody was remembering that. All right. Except me. <laughs> so you, knew, you didn't bring it up before you went in that ring. <laughs> oh no. I, I, I just started a memory lapse right there, but, yeah. but I went, I went to the ring. I, I, I had the match. I won the battle royal and all the agents are coming. I'm going to check lands. You'll never get your match. Chief. Uh, Wishful thinking, my friend, but you will not get it. So I walk into Vince's office. I say, Vince, do you realize I didn't even know this? I said, 
I said, you advertise the winner of the Battle Royal wrestles the world champion at the yeah. next Garden show. He stops for a minute. He looks at me with those little half-moon glasses. <laughs> He's sitting down and he looks at me and goes, you got your match. Uh, Just like wow. that. Yeah. And when he did that, I was like, holy shit. So now I'm supposed to wrestle Bret Hart in the next Garden show. And it was two months away. So now, the month before that, in between those two months, it's the Montreal screw job. Wow. Now, the Montreal screw job, we all know what happened. Yeah. We don't know the inside information because nobody really does except Brett, Vince. And, but, but anyway, the new but what was the general feeling, Michael. Steve? I mean, you were around the boys then. Uh, when that happened, did mostly, most, uh, everybody, they all had an opinion, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, business was done a certain way. So I, I don't know. Um, right. Yeah, Brett was finishing up, and then I don't know. Apparently, Brett didn't want to drop the belt in uh, in uh, Montreal where we were, and then uh, Vince, you know, whatever they did, then they did the screw yeah. job and all that. That one guy. But aside from the, you know, all but, the dynamics but, but, of that, well, you're thinking I'm, now I'm not. I'm never going to get this match right when that happened. Yeah, yeah right. Because Sean was Sean was not the Sean that he is today. He was very arrogant, cocky. I'm not going to work with him, you know? That's what I was assuming he was going to say. So now we're getting close. Well, we got a month to go to the garden. And um, I remember we were in the Savoy in a bar, and Sean's in there. And and, uh, I forget it was Chief or somebody. Uh, Hey, you know, Teaspoon. He called him Teaspoon. Hey, Teaspoon, uh, you know you're working on the next garden show? With the Brooklyn Baller. No, with Steve Lombardi. Oh, I was the Brooklyn Baller then. With the Brooklyn Baller. And he says... uh, Sean looks at me and I'm expecting, you fuck you. I ain't with you. That's what I thought he was going to say. But he said, can you super kick? Can you leapfrog? Can you do this? Can you do that? He was so fired up about it. Really? I said, I'll do anything you want. Yeah. He, he was just thinking, you see how his, his mind was working? His finish is the super kick. If I super yeah. kicked him, the people would become unglued. You know? So, and what a match we had. It was the first, it was the first uh, garden show of DX with China and Triple H on the apron, on the outside of the ring. With me against Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden. I remember Undertaker walking in the room into the into the uh, dressing room and looking at the uh, lineup, and he shows me in the main event, and him he's underneath me, and he goes, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> That's what he said. I was like, "It's not me. I didn't do it. I didn't do it." You know, because nobody wants heat with the Undertaker. Yeah. But uh, it, it's a very. It, I tell you, it's that career. I could not even write. We couldn't write this the way the way it happened. I mean, the yeah, first I mean, match it turned out to be a great match. You weren't going to win it, but geez, I mean, it was a great, great match and a great memory for you. Yeah, and he's kicking out on two and a half, and he's, <laughs> and he's, and he's selling it. He's doing all these crazy moves to me. I mean, he's making me look like a million bucks. Yeah. And then, and, then Hunter, and then Triple H jumps on the apron. I get to pop him, nail him. China comes in and gives me a Frankenstein. I mean, it was like a, it was great. Like Did you have the whole? Fa- was the whole family there? Was Brooklyn well represented? Oh yeah, it was Brooklyn all the signs. My all my brothers and my mom was there. Everybody was there. Oh, man. It was a big. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to me anyway. Maybe well, yeah, not. Sure. I, mean, I always tell Sean. I say Sean, it was the highest point in my career, maybe the lowest of yours. He goes, no, no, it wasn't. He goes, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was great. I mean, come on. The Rock's first match, Mark Henry's first match, Ricky Steamboat's first match, Owen Hart's first match in WWE, Bret Hart's first match in WWE. I mean, all the things I've done, it was insane. I beat Ultimate Warrior once. 
How about wow. that one? One of the, one of the a good Ultimate Warrior story. They come to the show. They they take me into the room to the side. They say, "We're going to put you over Ultimate Warrior. We want to test his attitude. We want to see." Now, how how far into his career with the WWF was he? Oh, he they were just going to give him the big push. They were like right on the edge of giving him the big push, mm. and they wanted to see if he was going to be if he was going to be you know easy to work with by by seeing if he will job to you know let me beat him without bitching. Uh-huh. But I liked Jim. He was a great guy. I mean, I, I really, I really liked him. And I kept this a secret for many, many years. Uh-huh. And uh, I took him in the room. I said, Jim, listen, they're going to ask you me. They're going to ask you to lose to me. What the fuck? What, what, what's going on? This and that. I said, no, Jim. Listen, they're going to test your attitude. Just say yes. No problem. Please do that. that that's conversation never happened. That's what I told him. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And he did it. And then when he came in the Hall of Fame, I, I know I'm jumping around a little. And then when they put uh, Ultimate Warrior in the Hall of Fame, I, I walked into the dressing room. He was all alone. I walk into the dressing room and he starts crying. He, he cries. He goes, what you did for me? He goes, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget what you did for me. He goes, and you better be prepared to stand up as I tell the entire audience how you told me that they told you that they were going to beat me to test my attitude. I said, Jim, don't. I'm still working here. And yeah. they're going to think that, they, that I'm telling the information. I, he goes, and he's just going, fuck, fuck. It was 30 years ago. Who gives a fuck? I said, Jim, <laughs> listen, please. For me, please don't do that because I don't want to get any heat. You know, because they say, "Oh, tell the body anything," but you go right back and tell me. That's the way I, I felt back then. Yeah. So he goes, "Well, be prepared to stand up anyway." And he just said, "Where's Stephen Barty? Please stand up." And I stood up in, in the audience. And he goes, "I want to thank Steve for taking all my abuse and having a great attitude about it. Thank you." That's what he said. Wow. So it was so yeah. touching to me. It was so touching to me that he did that. Yeah, and a couple but, days uh, later, he was gone. Oh. Yeah. Yep. A couple of days later, he was gone. Right after that story, oh. I got oh. a picture. I got a picture with him the day before he died. Mm. You know, but you know, that's that's where things happen. Did you hear his promo on Raw before he died? Uh, no. Yeah. Never saw. He had a promo. He had a promo on Raw because we had the uh, we had the WrestleMania. The, I mean, the uh, Hall of Fame. And the, and the, then we had the WrestleMania. We had the Raw, and then he, and then he came on the Raw and he said. Uh, even to the day when the warrior's heart stops beating, he will always be here. That's what he said in his promo. Mm-hmm. It was very, very ironic, you know. And then uh-huh. two days later, he yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, off. yeah, just incredible. Uh, you know, Steve, uh, as much and and you became, you know, it's funny because you you know talk about the progression and all that you had, you know, you went through. Uh, was there a point where you became kind of this? I don't know, as a seasoned veteran, that it wasn't just what you were able to do in the ring. What Did you help a lot of these guys just, like you said, what you did for Jim? You went to him and said, look, I got to test you. Uh, you. You know, don't, don't do, you know, don't you know, go crazy about it. Just do it. Right. Uh, did you help a lot of other guys along the way by, uh, like, in a sense, uh, smartening them up to things that went on that helped them? Along the way, the, you know, the ones that you really thought had talent that were going to be able to contribute. I always felt, I always felt that if I was telling them something that they would do that might hurt their career, but they weren't doing it maliciously or intentionally, mm-hmm. they would do it. They were going to do it. So I would always want want to help them like a brotherhood and help and help them and, and say, don't do this because of this, you know. And if you do this, they're going to they're going to perceive it as this. 
you know, I, I, I did a lot. I did that a lot to guys. Yeah. Sometimes, and I mean, I did it anyway. Well, and I'm sure there were those that you wouldn't waste your time on because no, no. Of, I mean, there were, there were a lot, there were a lot of those that have traveled through, uh, the company that, you know, that squandered it. Right. And when they didn't last, they never lasted because they kept their attitudes the way they were and they're gone. Yeah. They, they were gone. But everything's, uh, everything's great. 32 years. Oh my God. If I only yeah. bought Apple when I was younger, yeah. Apple stock. <laughs> no, I did very well. I saved all my money. I, well, good I made, for you. I made money. On, I made money. I made money in real estate and this and that. So I got to give you a synopsis of, of what happened when I parted ways with WB because you're going to freak out on this one. Uh-huh. So do you want to, do you want to hear this? Yeah, of course. Okay. I have okay. you here, Steve okay. Lombardi. Okay. I, no, 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 I know, but, but I don't want to jump. I'm jumping around a little bit. So now I'm jumping. Now. That's okay. Okay. So I part ways with WB two to four planes a week for 32 years when you wow. always, but anyway, I get home. I got a 90 day clause where you non-compete clause. You can't, you can't do anything for 90 days. So my wow. phone's ringing off the hook. My phone's ringing off the hook. I'm not saying I'm just blowing them off. Cause I said 90 days. I wanted to take a year off and just relax. After 32 years, I wanted a year off. So all of a sudden uh, the phone's ringing, the phone's ringing. And, uh, and then a couple of friends of mine called me up there from Brooklyn. They want you in Brooklyn. You're going to be huge in Brooklyn. If you come to Brooklyn, why are you in WWE? It'll be big. If you go, I said, I'll, I'll do this one shot. I go, I go to Brooklyn. I you put the tights back on. Boom, boom, boom. Get a great reaction from the audience. So, so I did you continue to stay in shape at that point? Oh, I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. I'm 200 <laughs> pounds with 9% body fat. Wow. I'm vascular. I'm, I'm in better shape now than the Brooklyn Brawler was. Really? But anyway... So then I, so then I write this book that you just, I write that book handwriting on a yellow pad. It took mm-hmm. me about six months. Uh-huh. And then I, I, I go to a studio, I have it done in the audio form. And as I'm doing it in the audio form, the director in the studio is cracking up. He's laughing. He's saying these stories are hysterical. You know, like the Piper stories, the yeah. Sheik stories, the, yeah. uh, the Kerry Von Eric stories. I can't, I mean, it take it forever to go through all of those. So what happens? My phone rings, my phone rings and it's, MC Productions in Baltimore Comedy Club that wants me to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'll use my book's material to do the stand-up comedy. So I went to, I went to Baltimore and did stand-up comedy and tore the house down with wrestling stories. Oh, uh, yeah. Then, and Hacksaw does that, too. I mean, people love it. Yeah, a couple of guys. A couple of guys. Z- yeah, Zick was Jake. Doing that. And, yeah. Yeah. So when you did that, must have been too. frightening, though, to go up on a stage. I, I mean, you know what I did? I did five costume. I did five costume changes right on stage. Oh. You know, I, I went for Brooklyn Baller. And then yeah. I, all of a sudden, I turned my head and I put the daughter hair crown on, hair on, and I put the jacket on. Kill this. You know, and I tell a few of the stories. They were cracking up. So you tell stories from the Brooklyn Brawler era, and then other ones from when you were these other characters. Is that how? The- the show yeah, works. Yeah, like they, they can tell tell the stories. Like Vince called me and said to go to uh, Calgary, and I, I apparently look like this. I put the green hair on, put the jacket, the door jacket on, and then tell them hit the music. So to, to make a long story short, I do that. I go home. I'm still doing independence. My phone rings again. It's this, mm-hmm. this famous rapper called Mega Ram. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big rapper. Mega Ram. I mean, he's he's very really known in the rap world. Uh-huh. He's doing he's doing a rap show in Florida when they had WrestleMania in Florida, and he wanted me 
to be the special guest at the rap show and he wanted me to rap. Mm-hmm. I said, hell yeah. I was in Florida anyway. I was booked at the uh, fan fest or whatever they have, you know, that position across the street. You know, I forget what they called it. So I did, so I did a rap show. I headlined a rap show. And then uh, I, I memorized a few paragraphs. So you like Cena? Can you, can you uh, riff? Yeah, 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 well, I was memorized. It was memorized. Yeah. I used SummerSlam, you know, whatever it was. SummerSlam with Mega Rams. You know, I'm doing... It's really cool with SummerSlam, but better than that is to rap with Mega Ram. You know, I was doing, I was doing stuff like that. I was popping it. I've been all over the world, even Taj Mahal. <laughs> I even beat Jinder Mahal. You know, stuff like stuff like that because I beat Jinder Mahal. Did you you know that right? Vince McMahon, yes. the TLC in 2012. Yeah. I beat Jinder right. Mahal. And every birthday, what they do is they put the video out of it and they say Happy Birthday to the man that made the impossible happen. So listen to this. What did the Book of All have? He had ripped up shirts and he had a, he had a cigar. In his cigar. Mouth, right? And that hat. And that. Yeah. So now I'm doing shows around New York and a buddy of mine brings me to this cigar shop. It's uh, Hob- Hoboken Cigars in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I meet this great cigar guy, my favorite cigar guy, Don, Don Donato. And he says, and now he contacts me. I got a new cigar that comes out, the Hoboken Brawl of Cigar. It's all over the place right now. <laughs> Uh, really? I, I mean, this is, yeah, there's a whole broken ball of cigar that they just came out like about a month ago. And it's not no five dollar cigar you buy in the corner. This is like uh, tobacco from Nigeria. The blend is perfect. It's, it's a high dollar. And it's selling. He said it's the fastest cigar that he's ever sold in 32 years. Wow. That's what's happening. Um, yeah. Tell us about that break from the WWE, though. What was it? Uh, you, you say in your book that it was very amicable. I'm happy. They called me back for the 25th anniversary. I'm on good terms with the WWE. I have no that's problems good. with them at all. Well, especially yeah, with the network it, it, now. It, it, I mean, that's you know, I've been, I've done. Oh, I'm uh, all over now. Yeah, and I've been, and I have the opportunity the to do more things now with them because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So and look at the network. Awesome. Put my name in. You'll see me beating Triple H. You'll see me beating Jinder Mahal. They they they, don't, they didn't take anything off. They just left it all in there. Could you believe yeah. I beat Triple H? On SmackDown. Yeah, because I, I think that that is probably that is something you can watch. So, <laughs> yeah, that is something you can watch. You can it, was clean, network, right? it was clean, right? It was clean. It was no, no, wasn't clean. Well, he was. It was he was rendered uh, helpless. <laughs> it was yeah, three and one handicap. Jericho jump came in the ring. The referee was knocked down. He gave him a bulldog. He took off. Referee recovers. I jumped on him. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you got, you got the three. Yeah, I got the three. And Michael Cole goes, the Book of All, I just beat Triple H. I can't believe this on SmackDown. I can't believe I'm saying this. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. I just had Jericho in my house about uh, a year ago. And we saw, I told the story to him. He remembered it. He, he got on, on the screen and said, he's always getting into uh, Triple H's limo. He goes, uh, tri- uh, Triple H told me to take his limo tonight. He had a pretty bad day because he just got beat by the Brooklyn Brawler. And Triple H and Steph are watching this on the, on the screen. You know, it was pretty cool. I had some pretty cool experiences. Do you think that you were so successful and were able to work with that company for so many decades? Because, first of all, you always were willing to do whatever was needed to be done. But also the fact that you were so adaptable, like no matter what they needed you to fill, you could do it. Oh, yeah. Vince used to say, if I send Lombardi up to the roof to get to get a flag, he'd bring down two. Yeah. 
You know, he's, I've always been the overachiever as far as we, get, we need to get this cold open done for the, the opening of the pay-per-view. Okay, tell them Barney to get these certain shots, this, 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 and this. You know, then we send it back to the office, and then they, they edit everything. You know, all of a sudden, yeah, look, Vince, look what we got. You know, they yeah. forget about all the stuff that I was that I was shooting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, if, you, if you got talent, you're going to make it. If you don't have talent, you're not going to make it, and no one else can help you. That, that's yeah. the answer that I, I would give you. The bottom so, line on that? The bottom line. Yeah. When, so, you, when you were pulled in to do all those spots, if you weren't good, I don't care if you were Vince's brother, you wouldn't be there. Right. When you, when you were doing all that, you know, those plugs and all that stuff on the, at the studio and all that, if you weren't good, you weren't going to be there no matter who you were related to. No, absolutely. I mean, that that's one thing about the, the business. And, I, you know, I talk about it all the time that, you know, think about it. Um, even the NFL, you have thousands of spots for people, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, but you know, the, these teams will carry, you know, 50 something players. Well, the entire roster of the WWF at that point in time was like 60 guys. They had like 60 superstars, give or take. So think of the thousands and thousands of professional wrestlers out there that would have loved a cup of coffee with the WWF. Oh, so you think about too, the odds even now. Yeah. I know it's crazy, but it's a little different coming up today because they would never let you come up the way I came up because you, you have to go to the, you would have to go to Florida to, to the training center. You would have to go through all their different uh, levels. They would make, they don't break, people don't break into business. Like I broke into business today. Why do you think that uh, Steve, that that was such an incredible time? Uh, a, a it was an incredible time because it was an incredible time because it was like magical. It's like I, for some reason wrestling was magical. Everyone knew every wrestler. And today, as big as it is, billion dollar business. I mean, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, Vince is making money hand over foot. I mean, he's he's making tons of money. But yet, I believe the buzz back then was a lot, a lot more closer to people's heart. But also, what it was, it was they no nobody had ever seen anything like that before. You know, before that, uh, we're talking, you know, eighty two really when it really started to happen. You know, everything was like we talked about. There were territories. They had, you know, these little shows. Some of these guys might be able to draw a couple thousand people, which was huge. You know, that uh, for some of these shows. And then suddenly, you're seeing eight, ten thousand people in arenas, and. You know these, and it's right. and it's across the. You know it's mainstream. People are they're talking about it, and uh, right. do you, I think that that was also a big part of it. Oh yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. I really do. The the funny thing is, like, if you had a territory like in Texas, and uh, you had you had, you had a uh, wrestling in Texas, the people in Texas cared more about the small territory than they did about WWE TV back mm -hmm. then. Well, we were we weren't worldwide, but they could still get it. Right, but it just it just so, took off. It, I mean, I, Vince's idea it's like was Channel Five. Yeah, Jerry Lawler, Channel Five. They cared more about Channel Five than they did about WWE. In those, it's in those like areas? right now, right? Yeah, like right, like right now. I just opened a wrestling school. It's called the Hall of Brawl. It's in Bay City, Michigan, and we're going to shoot on the CW starting in October. We're shooting the first shows in, in July. People are going to care more about that show mm -hmm. than they're going to care about Raw. Because it's local. It's happening in their town. It's happening in their state. 
I yeah. mean, it, it, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but is it is it changing again? No, you know, with, with, with these Indians only, that are only for the people that are over, only for the people that are going for that. Yeah. You see, I happen to be living in Michigan now, so uh-huh. we got a little a little organization in Michigan now, and the people in Michigan they watch only us. Uh-huh. They don't care about WWE. They really? care about they care about yeah, because it's close. It's the Michigan wrestling, the local wrestling. So is it coming full circle here? You know what I'm saying? Because you yeah, see, yeah, you see, like exactly. uh, you know, this all in event. They sold out in a half an hour, ten thousand tickets. You you see, uh, yeah, yeah, New Japan, and and is it is it changing again? It never went away. It's just that everybody went out of business. Yeah. But the people that could survive and open up little little organizations and run like three or four towns a week and have a, have a little TV show locally, you you could get more of a buzz than the big show. Now I listened to an interview. I don't. I think it was uh, a while ago. I think when you were with on uh, Jim Ross, it was, and, and you were just talking about starting this. Um, ter- I guess a territory. A little is. Yeah. Is that still happening? And how how? Yeah, it's it's happening. Going? It's already happened. We we have a wrestling school. We yeah. actually have our third lesson tomorrow, and it's called the Hall of Brawl. And we have this building that we have permanently, and yeah. it's uh, it, it's attached to a church, and uh-huh. we're gonna. We're going to film TV out of it. We got cameras that are coming, coming down. It holds only 360 people. That's all it holds. So what we, what we do is we surround the whole ring, and then we shoot the cameras straight, the hard camera straight down, and we don't show the walls. And we, 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 we kind of make it look like it's a bigger crowd than it is. So we got all these hungry kids. We got learned all these a lot. students now. I'm trying to, oh, my God. All these <laughs> students. And, and, and going in there, I, I don't know how I get sore by showing them how to get a headlock, how to get a hammerlock, how to do this, yeah. how to get that. But I come home and I'm sore. But really? uh, but it's good because you know why? I feel the I feel the heart in one kid, and I, I feel nothing in another kid. You know, I could tell which one's going to make it, which right. one's a ringer, and which one ain't. I mean, it's interesting. That's an interesting part to me is to be able to interpret if he's going to be good or if he isn't going to be good. Uh. That's, and so it's is it crazy? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's on TV there, right? So, uh, is it not yet in October, October? Yeah. But is it going to be in one, more than one market or, you know, like in, in the area? It's going to be, it's going to be on the CW in, in, uh, Michigan, but it's going to stream live worldwide. Really? That's good. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it seems like I just love watching seeing this happen because I think it's going to be good for professional wrestling all the way around. When you see, you know, I had a yeah, I had a conversation. I'm going back to the squash job. I'm going back to the squash job, squash job, main event, main event, wrestles, main event, and then come back, come out and see us. Yeah, the pay for that for the house show. You know, and I I had a conversation. I had a conversation with Kevin Von Erich, and um, his sons are they're they're involved in this revolution. Uh, World Championship Revolution, I think it is, and it's going. It's doing the same thing. They're going to be on a uh, an affiliate, uh, uh, I think an NBC affiliate, and they're getting other markets that are going to air these. And I, I think it's awesome. It's kind of like this. It's 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 yeah. come full circle, and I think it's it's going to be great for the business because it gives these guys, the ones who really have talent, to uh, be elevated, and you know m- maybe go to the big big show eventually, but. They've got now. They've got these these uh, platforms that are really, really uh, have good elite talent with them. Right. 
Right. And we got these big, big monsters that we do. I, I got myself like five main eventers that I'm going to make main eventers. And I got mm-hmm. these kids and I'm training them to make these guys look larger than life. And your job is to make these guys look phenomenal, like yeah. stronger than they, know, than they really are. And just the way we did it in the 80s, just the way yeah. I did it with Warrior and with all these different guys. Yeah. Well, that'll be cool to watch. So uh, um, how can folks see it? You said it's going to be streaming. And then how else? Well, everything, will come, everything will come up on. I'll, I'll always publicize everything on Twitter. This is UCW yeah. Wrestling. Everybody around here already knows about UCW Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, as far as the streaming, that's the tech geek. He's telling me about a server. I'm not a big computer guy. Mm-hmm. But he told me we could stream worldwide, but yet we could hold back in Michigan so we could show our show taped in Michigan. But, yeah. but they're so worldwide. I, I don't know. I don't know much about that. I mean, maybe you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Okay. I'm just listening. No, to, I know to it's, all, it's fascinating to me. And, and it's that this new technology is it's uh, it's great because uh, people can be worldwide with their product and they don't need a network yeah. to do it. And, you know, millions right. of dollars. So it's, it is. It's, so, it's, right. It's, if you had a server, if you had a server right now, your podcast could be could be uh, streamed all over the world. Yeah. Well, I and mean, you I, I don't know if it works the same way with a podcast. Yeah, you can put it up on YouTube, and that's another revenue source, Steve. I don't know if you've looked into it, but there, you know, you you get, um, you know, thousands and thousands watching that, and it becomes uh, another revenue stream for you. So Absolutely. Well, the knowledge uh, that you bring with you, the knowledge you bring with you from WWE. Yeah, I know. I so you, you're talking about how you're doing with the crowds, and then your camera angles. I said, boy, he learned a lot when he was there. <laughs> he paid attention. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like, I just ordered a, a camera for above the ring so we could get aerial views coming down. Uh-huh. And now you like, got like switching. Yeah, you can do GoPros. They got them, you know, you can put them all over the place. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not the technical guy, but he did, he did call it a GoPro. That's what he did call it. So uh, what else are you doing? Is that, is that keeping you busy enough? It's just a cigar endorsement is really big. Because yep. uh, the Hoboken Brawler Cigar and Hoboken yep. Cigars, Don Donato, best cigar guy in the business, that's out. There's a big Father's Day special right now. Can they get and, that online? Uh, they can get it online. Or you can go right to uh, at Hoboken Cigars on Twitter. You can order it. You can call the store directly, 77 River Street in Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You can call them directly. It makes a great Father's Day gift. There's a 10 cigars. So like Whatever the price is, I don't even know. I don't make the prices. I don't make the cigars. But this cigar guy, he's a master at this stuff. There's a, there's a science tool with blends oh, and all God this kind God. of stuff. Yeah. I mean, are you a cigar guy? No, I'm not. But I do oh, understand the okay. science that people, it's like, uh, you know, people who drink tequila or there are people that, you know, the, the, the liquor, yeah. it's the same yeah. thing. I mean, you, it, one is not yeah. like the other, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, but every, everything's great. Everything's going fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Steve, uh, I, I really want to thank you. Pro, pro WrestlingTees.com. Can I plug that? Pro WrestlingTees.com. Yeah, every- yeah. Celebrity videos, C-E-L-E-B.com. You can get me. I can say happy birthday. I can say Merry Christmas. I can say this. I can say that. And I, you, you, we already talked about the book. Yep. And uh, so, you know, my, my Brawler Unfiltered. Yeah. yeah, Brawler Unfiltered. Brawler yeah. Unfiltered. And, uh, you know, everything goes, everything's, social media is big today. Yeah. Well, you've come a long way from D'Agostino's. Oh, you really did. You really did pay attention, didn't you? I do my research, brother. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But you really, I want to story? Huh? 
Yeah, you got fired. Yeah, you got fired. I got fired because I told him I broke I broke my leg, and then he goes, and then the manager calls me up, and he goes, "How you doing?" I go, "Well, I'm coming along." He goes, "I could see that when you were getting yeah. the camel cost from the from the Iron Sheik, <laughs> you're fired, you're terminated. You, yeah. Now I'm a full time wrestler." Yeah, little, little did you know he was a he was a wrestling fan. <laughs> Should have thought that through. Yeah. I'm going to be on TV. Somebody might see me. Yeah, I'm I'm on TV <laughs> every week, but I think no one's going to see me. And they're using my real name, Steve Lombardi. Good, so good stuff. Well, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, everything worked out. No regrets. No regrets. I'm, and I'm happily married for 32 years to the greatest woman in the world. I love her to death. And uh, life is great. Life is great. That's awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Steve Lombardi, for coming on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Well, thank you for having me. Ah, great conversation with Steve Lombardi, uh, known as the Brooklyn Brawler to many. Um, Steve, uh, 32 years with the WWE and uh, left the company very amicably. Uh, they, uh, he said, like he said, he still does a few things with them and uh, really just uh, an incredible career with them. And I'll tell you, folks, uh, no matter what, I mean, uh, you know, you don't last that long in the ring. Uh, with these, uh, you know, these big names in the business, if they don't want to be in the ring with you. And that's one thing that was great about, uh, Steve Lombardi is that, um, you know, he wasn't just the guy you went out there and squashed, uh, the, the boys loved the fact that, uh, you know, he could work with them and he could, you know, he could come back and, and make them struggle and, and give them a comeback and, and, you know, and, and do that and really put them over. And especially when these guys were first coming in. Uh, you know, people like the rock, uh, they knew that these guys had tremendous talent, but if you don't have somebody out there that can help put them over and give them confidence in the ring, um, you know, it can make their journey a lot harder. It's not to say those, those guys wouldn't have become stars, but Steve Lombardi certainly helped them along the way. And I really want to thank Steve Lombardi for coming on primetime with Sean Mooney. We had a tremendous giveaway last week. I really like this one and thank goodness I have. A lot of pictures, a lot of autographs left of superstars from the WWE, and I can't wait to give them away. A uh, quick shout-out here to Scott Wilder, Scott Wilder Promotions, who uh, you know arranged for me to have a lot of those pictures. Uh, Scott is a uh, promoter out there. Um, I've worked with him on several occasions, and he is one of the good guys out there. I know uh, some of the boys are uh, people that uh, – the personalities out there, he may ask you to appear at one of his uh, shows. Uh, he's a, a good guy. So I hope that, uh, you know, return that phone call, guys. And uh, Scott, once again, thank you so much for those pictures. And we had a great giveaway. We gave away five pictures to five different winners. Uh, Kevin Kimmins, uh, Matt Gleason, Brian Chaplow uh, from uh, the U.K., and Andy Toth. Now, I'm still waiting to hear from Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Rooney, if you are out there, you won an autographed picture of your choice. And um, please get in touch with us because we'd love to uh, have get that picture off to you. I sent the other ones out. They're already on the way, guys. But uh, we're still waiting to hear from Jimmy. So uh, Jimmy Rooney, uh, let us know where you are. Give us an address and what picture you'd like to have. And we will send it and get it out to you right away. Okay, uh, be sure and stay in touch, everybody. You know how to do it. If not, uh, through Twitter and Instagram, it's at PrimetimeMooney. Of course, you can email me at PrimetimeMooney at gmail.com. 
And boy, the uh, YouTube channel is taken off. I really love seeing this. Uh, all you have to do is go to primetimemooney.com. It takes you directly to our YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do, because uh, the more subscribers we get, uh, the more incentive we have to keep putting material up there. And uh, remember, there's a lot of stuff up there. Besides many, many, many of the episodes, we're now over uh, 50 episodes, and we should say this is 52. So it really, really has been a year of podcasts, 52 of them for 52 weeks. We're beyond that now, so that's uh, fantastic. And I want to thank everybody who's helped us uh, along this journey, uh, the folks at MLW Radio, Court Bauer, and uh, Evan Polisher, who's uh, helped us out tremendously with our social media, and, of course, Casey Drumbeck, who is, uh, man, I, I couldn't do it without him. He's uh, the man really on the other side of this microphone who helps put this show together every week. It's hard to believe it's been a year Oh, yes, and one more thing. I uh, received in the mail this week a copy of the Randy Savage unreleased The Unseen Matches of the Macho Man. And uh, if you didn't know, I was one of the co-hosts in that. Uh, there was actually four of us. It was Corey Graves, uh, who was the, the uh, I guess, the moderator, I guess you'd call it. Uh, also, Diamond Dallas Page and Bailey, along with me, and we had a great time, and this DVD is out. So I'll tell you what, they just sent me this copy, and you know me, I don't save anything really, I just want to give it away. So we're going to figure out uh, how we're going to do that um, this coming week. So pay attention to our social media, go to our Facebook page, you know, the Primetime with Sean Mooney Facebook page. Also, we'll be putting it out on Twitter. So I'll be letting you know more about how we're going to give this away uh, over the next week. Because uh, everybody's telling me it's a great one. There's some really great matches on here that are unseen. It says right here on the package. So check out all of our social media outlets, and we'll tell you how we're going to give this away over the next week. A big thanks to our sponsor. We've had some great sponsors over this past year. I want to thank SeatGeek for being with us for this episode. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Another great episode is on the way next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. The world of NLW Radio never stops.